0: We get to continue our time in 1 Corinthians today. And chapter 13 ended by saying, the greatest of these is love. And chapter 14 begins by saying, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. His became a family not united. Uh, The picture on the screen is Kosti Hinn. Kosti's the nephew of the famous televangelist, Benny Hinn. Because he said, growing up in the Hinn family empire was like belonging to some hybrid of the royal family and the mafia. Our lifestyle was lavish, our loyalty was enforced, and our version of the gospel was big business. Though Jesus Christ was still a part of our gospel, he was more of a magic genie than the king of kings. By the time he got to high school, he started having doubts that caused him to ask a series of questions. He asked, what about unsuccessful healing attempts? He was told, problem is not enough faith on the part of the person who was sick. He asked, why would we speak in tongues without interpretation? He was answered, don't quench the spirit. He would ask, why did many of our prophecies contradict the Bible? The answer was, don't put God in a box. He took a gap year after high school, he was a catcher catcher is a person in the crusades when someone faints in the spirit and they fall backward. He would catch them. That was a job for a year. Went away to college. After college, he met the woman that would become his wife. There was just a problem. The family really struggled. She had never spoken in tongues. So I thought, well, we'll take her to a crusade. That'll help. She'll figure it out there. Still didn't speak in tongues. They thought, well, we'll take her to a another church uh, that did speaking in tongues that was part of their worship still didn't work and then she pointed him to 1 Corinthians 12:30 that says do all have gifts of healing do all speak in tongues do all interpret and in the greek there requires you to answer the questions no not everyone does and he wrote i was shaken to the core there it was plain as day not everybody has to speak in tongues soon the domino effect began Other long-standing beliefs were failing the biblical test. And here's his punchline. No longer did I believe that God's purpose was to make me happy, healthy, and wealthy. Instead, I saw that he wanted me to live for him regardless of what I could get from him. It became a family not united. Our series of messages is united. We jump back into the letter that we know as the Bible book, 1 Corinthians. We jumped back in at chapter 12 a couple of weeks ago. The church in Corinth, they were all first-generation believers. They had sent Paul a set of questions. What we know now as the book of 1 Corinthians was his letter back to them from chapter 7 on and his answering their set of questions. We don't have their list of questions. We can infer from the answers he gave what kind of questions they asked. The start of the church in Corinth is described in Acts chapter 18. We learn there that Paul was told by God, I want you to stay put, I've got a lot of people in this city, and he stayed there for 18 months teaching them. Then this letter is written back, the year is 55 AD, and it's one of Paul's earliest letters written that we have in our Bible. So far in the letter, Paul has answered questions about marriage, singleness, and remarriage. Questions about food offered to idols, about the issue of Christian freedom, about women and head coverings, and about communion. And then we've spent the last couple of weeks in chapter 12 and 13. 12, 13, and 14 are a unit, and they're answering questions, they're addressing the issue of spiritual gifts, and what they are for and how they are to be used when the church comes together. So we need to review for ourselves what's a spiritual gift. Spiritual gift is something that uh, is given at the time that a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior. When I go from outside the family of faith to inside the family of faith, when I change from being not a believer to being a follower of Jesus, when I go from the old man to the new man by placing my faith in Jesus Christ, he is my Savior, when that happens, Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and indwells, takes up residence inside. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit brings with him giftedness, gifts. That's the the point of 1 Corinthians 12. Gifts that help that follower of Jesus fulfill the role God has for them to play in the body, in the the broader family of faith. So every follower of Jesus has gifts, a combination of of giftedness that enables him or her to do what God's called him or her to do in the body. Now, we know from reading 12, 13, and 14 that apparently they were having struggles and their questions came out of some self-centeredness in their worship. It was about who had which gift, chapter 12. It was the gift was more important than exercising it in love, chapter 13. And it was about take a look at me and what God's doing through me rather than the giver of the gift, God being the focus. Uh, This chapter 14, this passage is the one that's the clearest, but also the most debated in the New Testament about the spiritual gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues. It was an issue in their day robbing them of unity. United, not in this. And it's an issue that has continued to divide churches and traditions to this day. Now, in that day, to speak in tongues was seen as being really spiritual. And so it was a desired gift, popular gift, one that, oh, I wish I could do that. Because uh, to be able to be the person who could stand up and know, oh, God is doing a miracle and speaking through me, wow good thing to be de- to desire to be used by god absolutely but the problem was that the, the, let me be the one god will use became more important than god being the focus the congregation didn't seem to understand the practice of tongues its relative worth in the church because by verse 20 he has to tell him stop being children about this Stop being infantile in the way you think about spiritual gifts. And this can be a problem in our day, too. Now, this is a passage that is a long, extended teaching passage, chapter 14. We're going to be here today and next Sunday. And I want to say something about 1 Corinthians 13. This, like other letters, uh, other books of our New Testament, it's important to be able to understand and think through the lens of what is contextual and what's permanent. Contextual meaning it was God's message, what he wanted believers in Jesus to know in 55 A.D. in Corinth. Contextual, unique to their context, versus permanent, something that applies just as much to Winona Lake in 2019 as it did Corinth in 55. In every contextual passage... Unique to them, there's still a timeless principle. And we try and figure out, oh, what's the principle here? So let me give you an example. So uh, chapters 8, 9, and into 10 is dealing with food offered to idols. Contextual or permanent? Uh, Some places in the world, that's still an issue. But for America, there typically is not. You don't have to worry about going to Owens. And was it offered at a pagan temple first for blessing before they put it in the display case. Uh, contextual. It's unique to Corinth in 55 AD. There are timeless principles still for us. Uh, be careful about not offending someone who isn't a believer yet. And look out for your testimony for Jesus. Timeless principle in it. But the idea of our thinking about meat offered to idols, that was a context. Another example. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Women and head coverings. Contextual or permanent. Just the situation for Corinth in 55, or just as applicable in Winona Lake in 2019. Everybody falls somewhere on the spectrum, contextual to permanent in each of the issues. And and in that one, if uh, the ladies that are in our worship service today, without a head covering, they've decided it's contextual. Is there a timeless principle there of male spiritual headship leadership in the home sure but beyond that that was their context uh those that are wearing a head covering we have folks in our church family who do they've said nope i believe god wants me to do this still now you see the difference contextual permanent and 1 corinthians has this in in a number of issues so you think about their situation then prophesying speaking in tongues they were the gifts that were causing problems in the church so paul gives them instruction chapters 12 13 and specifically chapter 14 how about now every follower of jesus every church tradition has to make decisions on spiritual gifts and what's contextual unique to then versus what should be permanent so this week and next We're going to look at what God has said in his word, in this chapter, and we're going to try and answer the question, do we expect that the Holy Spirit gifts folks to prophesy and speak in tongues in Winona Lake in 2019, the same as he did in Corinth in 55? And figuring that out is hard work. So let's dive in. I hope you got your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 14, your Bible or your device, Uh, As Pastor Kip explained, 12, 13, and 14 are a redirect. Redirecting them to loving each other, chapter 13. Redirecting them to the importance of spiritual gifts for the sake of the body, chapter 12. Not just our own benefit. And this chapter is all about how the concept of love applies to the use of individual gifts in the life of the church community. As Josh said last week... 14 is the application of 12 and 13 in the church when the believers come together. So in these first we're going to cover the first 25 verses today it talks about the relative use and va- the relative value and the use of prophecy and speaking in tongues. And he starts off crystal clear. Verses 1 through 5 that prophecy is greater than tongues. Writing to the Corinthians, 55 AD, here's what he says, follow the way of love. Remember, there's no chapter division from 13 to 14 when Paul writes it. So he says, the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, No one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Prophecy is greater than tongues. He gives these contrasts in verses 2, 3, and 4. Tongues is about speaking to God. Prophesying is speaking to men. Tongues is building up myself in my own spirit, my relationship with God. Prophesying is building up the church. There's a difference in clarity. What is understood in prophecy versus tongues? So This whole chapter doesn't do us a whole lot of good to tackle a chapter if we don't understand what's meant by prophecy and by speaking in tongues. So we're going to spend some minutes today trying to to understand what did it mean in Corinth then, what's it mean now to prophesy, uh, to speak for God. We think of prophecy being about the future, that's part of it, but it's far more than that. Think of Uh, I get to deliver a message from God. And the sense, uh, the meaning of prophecy was, uh, I'm going to communicate something that I can't know on my own unless God has revealed it. There were prophets in the Old Testament. There were prophets in the New Testament. There will be prophets in the time the Bible calls the Great Tribulation that's yet to come. Prophecy now is typically... Uh, what has God revealed? What does he want made known? Prophesying now is, uh, think prophet small p, that's what I'm doing. He's revealed his will. Uh, it's usually the teaching, the expounding, the expositing. What, here's God's word. What do we do about it? What does he want us to know about his mind, his will in each of our lives? Each situation. It's proclaiming what God wants made known. When you come to my office for counseling or advice, you expect I'm going to speak based on the Bible as God's revealed will for your situation. You aren't coming to my office assuming I'm going to have some new revelation from God to give to you that applies to your situation. I'm speaking for God, delivering a message, and it's going to be based on what, what's he made known. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing about some of Paul's letters and talks about them being uh, the word of God and he uses the word to describe them prophecy. Some of Paul's letters of prophecy are hard to understand so we need to depend on the spirit. So God revealing his will and the person who's able to to declare it. I love what um, I put on the back of your sermon outline The blog, if you didn't read Friday's sermon blog, the Livet blog, it's worth going to and reading. Brent Sandy wrote this Friday's. He paralleled, what's a press secretary for the president do? Speaks for the president. I has to know the mind of the president well enough to be able to represent his position on an issue. Uh, Maybe sometimes it's quoting his exact words, uh, which is even weightier. But that press secretary is there representing and speaking for the president. Spokesperson for the president. Spokesperson is a good translation of the the idea here, the word in Greek, prophet, spokesperson. And and so the difference is, uh, he's telling us in verse 1, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, and the one you really want is being able to be a spokesperson for God. Uh, The idea of representing him and knowing his mind on an issue. Except it's now getting to be the press secretary for the president of the universe. God. I like his uh, definition. Uh, We know from 1 Corinthians 11 that prophets in that day, there were men and women, there were young and old. The common denominator was the Holy Spirit working and, and speaking Through them, they are gifted and empowered by the Spirit with special insight and wisdom to speak God's truth at strategic moments into situations that especially need a word from God. What might qualify us to speak for God, be his representative, his spokesperson? One of the highest callings and privileges we could imagine. And it starts with understanding as best we can how God thinks, what he thinks what he would speak into a situation. How do we decide that? Got to know the book. I I can't give you advice that's helpful unless I know the book. If I'm going to try and speak for God. To prophesy. What about prophesying then? I think there were two things unique to the situation in Corinth that maybe help us understand what was going on there and why they had such struggles. Uh, Corinth, Roman culture, but they still had all their Greek temples. And the Greek culture had oracle temples. Some think there was one right there in Corinth, temple to Apollo. So uh, you're pagan and you go to the temple. You want an oracle temple as you get a message from that God, specific to you and your situation. So what do you do? you go, you want a word, a message from God, you go and you take your offering to the temple and there is somebody there who is going to be able to say, oh, Bruce Barlow, here's the message from Apollo for you. But now that person comes to know Jesus and is a follower of Jesus and is now in a church at Corinth and no longer doing the pagan temples. So what do they do? This person now uh comes to a house church time of worship. What does he or she expect in terms of hearing God's will and intent? How is God revealing himself to that person? Who will speak for God? That question helps chapter 14 make a lot more sense in their context. Because the other thing unique about them, there's no New Testament yet. So you walk into church here. Open up your Bible. We get to sit here and study and learn and apply. You go into your adult Bible fellowship or your life group, you open up the Bible, you're at home, and you're going to open up your Bible and read, and you expect to get God's revealed will for you, for me. They didn't have a New Testament. So, uh, in 55, they learn by the Holy Spirit, having gifted some in their midst to announce God's will. Some are gifted to stand up and remind them of what the apostles taught. We know the early believers are devoted to the apostles' teaching, but they don't have it in the New Testament yet. So God gifts some to get up, remind them of what the apostles taught, what they had learned from Paul during his 18 months with them. Some who are gifted to deliver a message from God, revealing his will, declaring truth then how does anybody know whether the prophet, the one who stands and is prophesying, is speaking truth or if their message is off? That's the point of chapter 14. Here's what you need to do to evaluate what happens when someone prophesies. So back to today, what should we expect? Is God speaking through people to declare truth other than what's found in the Bible? Can somebody say, I believe God has a message he wants me to deliver to you. Is that okay as long as it uh, matches up with what the Bible says? Can a human today give some new revelation from God? Hmm. Um, And I like what one uh, pastor wrote, said... Uh, We need to be careful about anything that is saying, well, let me give you a new word. Uh, There are warnings in the New Testament about trying to add when you haven't paid attention to or learned what's already here. Is God able to uh, unveil, reveal some kind of truth through the work of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. We've got no Bible verse that says he can't do that anymore. But we do have warnings saying, uh, don't, go after, don't ignore this and go after that. Get an idea of why it was so tough in Corinth and why it continues to disunite the church today? That's to prophesy. Okay, um, to speak in tongues, what'd that mean? The word is simply the human tongue, and so it's referring to what comes off the tongue. And the issue is that it was crystal clear in the book of Acts, not so clear in the book of 1 Corinthians. So in Acts, tongues are human languages understood by people. It's miraculously me having the ability to speak in Lithuanian and you're Lithuanian and you understand it. And we know this. So it's the the proclaiming, uh, the announcing of the gospel, truth from God, in a language that the hearers can understand that I've never learned. So somebody told me a story after first service today, of uh, they were speaking in English and God somehow translated it to Mandarin, mission field. There's stories that come from the mission field on this kind of thing uh, often. Acts chapter two, crystal clear. What happened at Pentecost, the birthday of the church? There, there, there's the sound of rushing wind, just like. The first Pentecost out in the wilderness with the Israelites, sound of wind, uh, the appearance of tongues of fire, 3,000 people are saved. They hear the disciples speaking in their language. So the guy from Cappadocia goes, God, there is speaking in Cappadocia. He doesn't know Cappadocia. And he is proclaiming the truth about what God has done through Jesus. It draws attention to the gospel. It's like, whoa, what is happening here? It's shouting, listen to these guys, they have a message from God. That's Acts 2, 3,000 people hear the message of the gospel and are saved and baptized. Acts chapter 10, crystal clear. Peter's told, go down to Cornelius' house. First non-Jew to believe in Jesus and follow him. This is a big deal. So go give the message to Cornelius. He does. Cornelius believes. His household believes. They receive the Holy Spirit. How do we know? They begin speaking in tongues. Foreign languages. And we know it's understandable foreign languages because Peter says the same thing is happening to them that happened to us in Acts 2. Hmm. They have the same Holy Spirit that we do. We need to baptize them. It was authenticating. God really is at work in Cornelius and his family. Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul is on his way through Ephesus, meets a group of men. They knew about repentance, knew about following God and worshiping God, but they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul fills in the blanks and connects the dots for them. And the result is, they received the Holy Spirit and begin prophesying and speaking in tongues. Acts 2, 10, 19, they are all, they're hearing foreign languages that authenticate, that draw attention to the person presenting the gospel or draw attention to the gospel itself. So the debates come then with what is going on in First Corinthians by the time we get to 22 years later, 55 AD, What's going on in 1 Corinthians 14? Is this still foreign languages they're speaking that are understood by the hearers? Verses 2, 3, and 4 make it apparently not. He's talking about mysteries. And well, languages are understandable, but what if it's not understandable and it needs to be interpreted? So there is something by 22 years later now. The church is now a mix of Jews and Gentiles. There's something here which is why some say this is a prayer language between the person and God from their spirit to him. Uh, Some say ecstatic speech. This is kind of spiritual gibberish that someone then interprets as a, a message from God. The debates and the disagreements are over what is happening here. By the time we get to 22 years later, what is going on? Is speaking in tongues for today. We talk about this some this week, some next week as well, and I want to be careful to say, there are people who love Jesus, are committed to His Word, uh, they are, their lives have been changed by the good news of the gospel, and they speak in tongues. They aren't the enemy. Who's committed to the gospel as as anyone who hasn't spoken in tongues. And we need to be careful about saying, well, it just can't happen today. Like what one pastor said, uh, said it's a wrong theology that says God can't do now what I have pegged him not to be allowed to do right now. We'll talk more about that next week. What does God do in other parts of the world um, most important more important for me uh, this week I've had to wrestle with the question I've never spoken in tongues so if this is the authenticating work that the Holy Spirit is present it's the proof that God is at work in the person's life I've never spoken in tongues what am I supposed to think about my own relationship with God uh, should I question is God actually at work in my life Should you question that? What kind of evidence should you be looking for in my life to say, yep, the Holy Spirit's there. He belongs to God. He's the real deal. What what kind of evidence should you be looking for to authenticate or to vouch or to demonstrate that I belong to God by faith in Jesus? God really is present in my life. That's a, I think, vital question we're thinking about Speaking in tongues for today? Miracles today? A few points today, some more next Sunday. Uh, One thing that I've wrestled with, the sign gifts, the miracle gifts, including speaking in tongues and interpreting them, they appear in the early letters of the New Testament. They don't appear in the later ones. Why? Uh, Also, the question of... um, the early church fathers. After the apostles, for the next couple centuries, um, the resurgence of speaking in tongues and the gifts is from the early 1900s on. For the first several hundred years of the church, the, the early church fathers, nobody wrote about it. They assumed that these were miraculous gifts that were given early in the life of the church. I think to draw attention to the gospel and to say God's at work here, pay attention. That's one that has to be answered as well. But I want you to hear for, I said to somebody after first service, you know, the the continent in the world where Christianity is growing the fastest, which one is it? South America. And almost all of the growth there is uh, charismatically oriented. It's oriented to the sign gifts. What is God doing? One person said, God verified the message and the work of Jesus and the apostles by performing mighty miracles through the apostles, including speaking in tongues. Then you have to decide. Context permanent. Still doing it? Still doing it in our context? What should be expected? Well, Paul said, verse 5, what he expected or what he hoped for for 55 AD in Corinth. I'd love for all of you to speak in tongues. But I'd much rather have you prophesy. Because that will build up and edify the church. So this is a, uh, think Paul the rabbi, and he spends the rest of this part of the chapter looping back to the same thing. It's a cyclical argument. It's a rabbi coming at it from four different angles. And so he's done it in verses 1 to 4. He does it in another way in verses 6 through 12. He says, being intelligible, which means understandable, and the mind is engaged. That's greater than unintelligible. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? That's why in his day, interpretation of that tongue was so vital. This was the only way for somebody to be instructed. Verse 7, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the flute or harp, How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying... Verse 11 is another one that has people think that's where we get the idea. of It's a prayer language. It's not just a foreign language. Uh, I am a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, so same words that are in verse 1, eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Intelligible is greater than unintelligible. If it can't be understood, it doesn't matter if it's music, sounding the battle call, um, or, or speaking in, in tongues, if it can't be understood, what good is it? Is the question he's asking. Die Klarheit der Communication wird gehindert. Sie können nichts davon mitbekommen. Wenn Sie die Sprache nicht verstehen. Was that helpful to you? I just said there is a clarity issue. They don't benefit if they don't understand. La prophétie edifie d'une manière impossible par le parler en langue. Helpful to you? Not unless you know French. I just said prophecy builds up in ways that tongues cannot. That's his point in the second paragraph. His point in the third paragraph, verses 13 to 19, mind plus spirit is greater than spirit only. What's he mean? It says, For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Why interpretation is so important? We'll see this again at the end of the chapter. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. In other words, for tongues, my spirit's engaged, my mind isn't. And he's simply saying In prophecy, you've got to engage both the mind and the spirit. That's more advantageous. Um, You get to verse 17. uh, He's talking about someone that comes in and hears it. Uh, How are they going to understand and be able to understand you're giving thanks? Verse 17, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. The point is build up the body. When you have come together, make sure it is understood so that the spirit and the mind can engage. And then Paul talks about his own experience. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. More than everybody in the, in the Corinth church at 55. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. The point is, uh, the speaking in a tongue is great between me and God, awesome Uh but it's more valuable to the body if they get five words that are understandable and will build up. And he comes at it uh, a fourth way, saying the same thing in verses 20 through 25. But this time he says, I want you to think about the person who's not yet a believer. And the way you think about prophecy and speaking in tongues. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written. And he paraphrases a passage in Isaiah 28 that is a harsh, condemning Israel passage. All the Jews in Corinth who are now, the the Jewish Christians in Corinth would get this, like that. The Gentile Christians wouldn't. This passage is judging the Israelites because they wouldn't listen to Isaiah In fact, the the context in Isaiah 28 is the priests of Israel are drunk, mocking Isaiah as he speaks for God. Then he paraphrases, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. Think about the person who isn't yet a believer, and he describes them two ways in the, in the next verse. Think about that person. So the, the Jews that were Corinth, Jewish Christians, you hear a tongue, that should be a reminder to you. Oh, yeah, foreign language, strange, uh, strange speech. It's a reminder that we had turned away from God. It's Sign of judgment. Isaiah 28 isn't a happy passage. It's a you wouldn't listen to God. He turned to the Gentiles. They're listening. You aren't. Ooh. Why is he bringing it up here? Because he's asking them to think about the difference between the believer when they come together. Uh, verse 23. If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some, here are the two terms for these not yet believers. They don't have faith yet and they don't understand. If there are some who don't understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? They come in and hear whatever this was in 55 AD. What are they going to think? Will it make any sense to them? will it help them come to know Jesus, is his point in this paragraph. But if an unbeliever someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he'll be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. What are we really after when we come together and there's someone who doesn't understand yet? We want them to know God sent Jesus to die for sins jesus was raised from the dead in victory over sin and death and he offers forgiveness there is new life offered we want them to under the person who doesn't understand and doesn't have faith yet we want them to hear clearly jesus hear here clearly you are a sinner that's his point at the end of verse 24 judgment is coming But God has sent a Savior and offers forgiveness and offers right relationship with him. How are they going to get that message? By hearing tongues or hearing prophecy? Speaking for God. Uh, And his point is, uh, even though tongues are a sign to unbelievers, verse 22, what kind of sign? Sign of judgment? Uh Uh-oh, better listen. Listen. But uh, twenty three, twenty four. Uh, wait, I, I thought you said prophecies for believers. Why are you now saying prophecy for unbelievers? It's simply a matter of clarity. How are they going to get the message? Prophecy is going to help in sharing the message of the gospel where tongues can't and won't tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. They draw attention just like they did in Acts 2. Draws attention to the gospel. It's miraculous. But is it helping them understand sin, judgment, and salvation in him? That's what we want. What will cause someone who doesn't know Jesus yet to declare God really is among you? Verse 25. Which is going to help most? The speaking of tongues or the declaring of God's truth through prophesying? The answer in 55 was clear. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So we're going to hit the pause button. Get the rest of the the chapter next week. There is some fun stuff there. Um, I can't wait, but I've been asking myself this week, okay, chapters 12, 13, and 14, a unit, what am I supposed to walk away from? What am I supposed to do with this? Uh, what's God want me to do about gifting and, and the body and building up the body? And here are some of my thoughts. Uh, what happens when a worship service happens? He uses twice in the chapter the phrase, when you come together. So there's one thing about my growth, and my time with God by myself but these passages are addressing what happens when you come together. Do I go for an experience? Is about me and what I get from it. Man, that's our culture, isn't it? Uh, somebody in the speaking team used this phrase. Worship is not go and get, it's go and exchange. I like that. It's really good. That's the spirit of chapters 12, 13, and 14. God's given you gifts. I need your gift. You need my gift. You need the gift of the person down the pew from you. Our body isn't what God called it to be till all of us know our gift and are using our gift. The point and the way we use the gifts, chapter 12 and 13, is it has to be building up and unifying the body. That's our theme in 1 Corinthians, united. I love the unity in this church family. God's been good to us. Uh, we got to keep praying that God will protect us Uh, the the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's the way it's described in the New Testament. Uh, And third, know your gift, use your gift, and love well as you use your gift. We can't walk away from chapters 12, 13, and 14 and go, "I, I don't know what my part in the body is. So please, if you're still wondering, ask questions, let's have a conversation, figure out what are the things that God has uniquely gifted you with that make a difference in the body we've all got them we need to love them Christy and i got to go see unplanned on monday a uh, group from our life group went to it together i knew i was going to cry i knew i was going to be mad my takeaway that was so interesting in it it's in the news every day right now uh big time because it's in so much um legislation around the country and then this movie hit it at a perfect time for that um Use your gift and love well as you use your gift. They portrayed one guy outside the Planned Parenthood uh, who was a yeller and a confronter. And they were on purpose contrasting with the rest of the folks that were praying and loving well as they used their gift. And what was so compelling and life-changing was the loving way they used their gift. Great example. Uh, Great example. No Your gift, use your gift, and love well as you use your gift. And then last, this week, students go back to school, teachers back into their mission field. Uh, This week, every single one of us gets to speak as a press secretary for the president of the universe, God. We get to represent him, advocate for him, Uh, try and speak into situations. Well, what's God's will in this situation? What a privilege. Most amazing thing in life. Ready to speak for him? Declare what he has made known about himself in Jesus? Would you pray with me? God, we uh, are amazed at the way you've knit together the body the way you've called each of us to play a part in it. And I ask that you would work through your spirit to help uh, those of us that are still trying to figure out uh, what role we are to play. This would be a a launching pad and a new beginning. (coughs) For those who are already making a huge impact, I pray for you to spur us on to love, to use our gifts in... uh, deeper and deeper ways of loving each other when you bring us together here. Please take us into the fields where you planted us. Allow us to represent you accurately and well this week in love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.